0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. College football week one is upon us. We've got some great games this week. Florida traveling to Utah. South Carolina, North Carolina bringing their rivalry back. LSU and Florida State. And then Clemson and Duke, the Labor Day Monday night game. Head over to BetOnline Sportsbook today and use our promo code BLEAV to get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the link in the description to this episode bet online where the game starts good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be all listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcast thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose. You can listen to all 1,286 episodes of the Take It Easy podcast, however and whenever you so choose. We've had so many, so many shows here on this fine program over the past four years, Uh, previously a daily podcast, now a a three-day-a-week podcast, although we're looking at four to five podcasts this week for the kickoff of the NFL season. Our friend Razor Rosenthal is going to join us later on this week, so that might be a bonus episode. We've got some bonus preseason NFL content coming at you that might get released here sometime in the near future. We've got all sorts of great stuff coming at you on the Take It Easy podcast, and On today's show, we are going to uh, later on have a conversation about Mike Evans, a very interesting development in the Mike Evans saga uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to talk about that. We're going to rehash a Hall of Fame conversation with Mike Evans that we had with our friend Gage Bridgeford. About 18 months or so, uh, I got a chance to rehash that conversation with our friend Juju Talk Sports. I just find Mike Evans' career to be one of those very, very interesting case studies over the past few years. And his career has been fascinating for all sorts of reasons that we are going to dive into later on in the show. First and foremost, NFL starts tonight. How about that? The NFL kicks off tonight, beginning with the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're here to break it all down. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to... We're not going to break that game down. One, because Kansas City's about to drop 40 on Detroit. I don't give a shit if Travis Kelsey is playing. I don't give a shit if Travis Kelsey has the hyperextended knee that keeps him out for... And this is true. I mean, I've seen differing accounts on this, but this would be the fifth total game Travis Kelsey has missed in his career since having back surgery his rookie season. So in nine years... Post a back surgery. This would be only the fifth game Kelsey has missed. And I believe one of those games was COVID related. So Travis Kelsey. Iron Man of the NFL. In year 11. Is uh, looking like he might miss the first game of the season. We're not going to do the. Let's break down the game. First game of the season analysis. Because one Kansas City's going to beat the shit out of Detroit. Bet on red and double down. It's been our philosophy for years. Do it. And if you're going to bet. Use bet online sportsbook and use our promo code BLEAVE to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. (laughs) Ha ha, bonus plug right there. But no, Kansas City's going to win that game, and even if they don't, this podcast is is going to age incredibly poorly. We've seen how you guys engage really well with the long-form podcast, the ones that are willing to age a bit better, and so doing the minutiae of like Thursday night football breakdown is not exactly what we're going for. We used to do that during the, the 2020 season and 2019 when we were first getting into the podcast space, and now that we are more radio professional and podcast professional and have done... Hundreds of long-form podcasts over the years. Uh, We don't do that show where we break down the game-to-game analysis, although we did just give you four minutes of analysis, which is Kansas City's going to put up 42 points on Detroit because Detroit's defense last year was one of the worst in the NFL, and while they have tried their best to make changes to address that defense... C.J. Gardner johnsons out for the start of the season. Their first-round pick, Jack Campbell, who's a linebacker, was viewed more as a second-round or third-round prospect, according to our friend Blake Jude, than the first-round pick with which they reached on him. They added Jameer Gibbs in the first round, but also subtracted Jamal Williams. So uh, I've got a good feeling that even if Detroit's going to be able to put up points, Kansas City's going to drop a 42-burger on him and beat them. There you go. There's your Game 1 analysis. But the thing I did want to talk about uh, is not also not Nick Bosa signing an extension because good for Nick Bosa. He gets to be the highest paid player in NFL history until Micah Parsons signs his contract that will make him the highest paid player in NFL history. But uh, the thing I want to talk about today is uh, before we get to Mike Evans is something that we have hashed a few times on this podcast, and that is the Clemson Tigers. Back in 2021, and again, this is two seasons ago now. It was uh, December of 2021 when Clemson lost to, I want to say, it wasn't Notre Dame, but Clemson missed the college football playoff, and they were coming off the year before where Clemson ended up making the college football playoff, getting smoked out the building by Justin Fields. Oh, I remember what it was. They, they had lost to Pitt, and as a result, they were not going to go to the college football playoff. They lost to Georgia to start the season, lost at NC State in double overtime, and then they lost to Pitt, and it was a three-loss season. And they uh, ended up going to the Cheez-It Bowl that year uh, and ended up beating Iowa State pretty handily. But the Cheez-It Bowl is like the seventh New Year's Six Bowl game or the eighth New Year's Six Bowl game, um, which is to say not a New Year's Six Bowl game. But that year, Clemson went 9-3 and and DJ Oyungalale was really struggling in the offense. And the thing that we talked about back in 2021 is, Clemson is not a traditional college football powerhouse. Clemson is the most, what I called, uh, and I've still called to this day, quote-unquote, lightning-in-a-bottle college football dynasty of all time. And the reason they have been the most, quote-unquote, lightning-in-a-bottle college football dynasty of all time is that, one, they netted a star quarterback who was overlooked in recruiting and went on to be one of the great college quarterbacks of all time. I'm, of course, talking about the sexual predator who plays for the Cleveland Browns. They ended up winning a championship in 2016 with an overachieving team, a team that was built of predominantly four and, and, four and, a half st- and, and three and a half and four and four and a half star players, with a quarterback that happened to be a transcendent talent. I mean, the guys who were on that first championship team, the captains of the team were guys like Ben Bulware, who didn't end up making really any mark in the NFL. Um, guys like, uh, I'm trying to remember the safety who ended up going to the NFL. He didn't really turn into much. These were guys who were not top-of-their-class type of players. But what ended up happening was after making the championship in 2015, beating Alabama in the championship in 2016, Dabo pivot, Dabo Swinney, the head coach at Clemson, pivoted so gracefully to be able to, to use the success of the previous two seasons, making it to the national championship game and losing, making it back to the national championship and beating Alabama on the last play of the game. A play that was caught by Hunter Renfro, a former two-and-a-half-star prospect developed by Dabo Swinney to be a fifth-round pick in the NFL and was the guy who we joked was played 37 years in college football. Again, Hunter Renfro, former two-and-a-half-star prospect, caught the championship pass from Deshaun Watson, who, when he was recruited by Clemson, went there because Dabo promised that he would get playing time as a freshman, and because Georgia just straight-up overlooked his recruiting. Like, a dude from Atlanta, Georgia looked at him and said, not worth it, not worth it. And by the way, then they did that again because Clemson, South Carolina is the closest traditional power to Atlanta, Georgia. And somehow falling into their lap was two of the greatest high school quarterbacks that had ever played who happened to be in the exact same recruiting class and happened to be born 30 miles away from each other in the state of Georgia. We're talking, of course, about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Georgia pursued Justin Fields. Clemson pursued Trevor Lawrence. Alabama at the time already had uh, Jalen Hurts, and they were transitioning to Tua Tagovailoa, so they weren't recruiting a quarterback for that year. Clemson brings in Trevor Lawrence and... Two years after winning a championship, they have five stars across the board. We're talking about first-round picks in Cleveland Furrell, Dexter Lawrence. By the way, Dexter Lawrence, who's now an all-pro NFL player. Isaiah Simmons, who was picked in the top ten of the NFL draft. Uh, a defensive line that had uh, Austin uh, Austin Bryant, I believe his name was, but they had three first-round picks on their defensive line, including Dexter Lawrence, including Cleveland Furrell, then... They had star wide receivers in T. Higgins, star wide receiver in Justin Ross, who has battled injuries throughout his NFL career, but was an absolute stud when he was playing at Clemson. Travis Etienne, a former four-star running back who ended up getting picked in the first round by the Jacksonville Jaguars, pivoted from being this team of three and a half and four-star guys that happened to have a star quarterback that won a championship over Alabama that was improbable and incredible and they probably could have should have would have lost to Louisville in that 2016 regular season to prevent them from getting to that championship game but they won the championship nonetheless pivoted to recruiting four and a half and five stars and won a second championship out of that run with Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence and T Higgins and Dexter Lawrence and uh, Cleland Furl and Isaiah Simmons like just Four and a half, five stars all across the board. Future first round picks all across the board. They pivoted to being able to recruit for three years a recruiting class of the top, top players in college football. And now they have two national championships. It's incredible. They won two national championships in a span of time where Ohio State won zero, where Georgia won zero. It's remarkable. They won two championships within a six-year span. and all six years, they made it to the college football playoff. Even when they weren't winning championships, they were in the championship game. Trevor Lawrence, after winning the championship in 2018 by dominating Alabama, the best team in the country from start of the season to end of the season, the following year came back, went to the national championship game, and lost to LSU, the first loss Trevor Lawrence had had in his time playing at Clemson. First loss for Trevor Lawrence, his entire time at Clemson, came in the national championship game against LSU. The following year, they went back to the college football playoff, and Trevor Lawrence got beat by Justin Fields, who's now at Ohio State. Six years Clemson made the college football playoff, all six years. Six years in a row, Clemson went to four national championship games and won two national championships. That six-year run Clemson had is the most lightning-in-a-bottle run In the history of college football. I think that 2016 Clemson championship has been one of the most underappreciated championships in the history of college football. And their ability to pivot off of winning that championship to recruit four and a half and five star guys was impeccable. And the other thing they had going for them was continuity on the coaching staff. Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, was there for five of those six seasons. Brent Venables, the highest paid assistant coach in all of college football... Brent Venables was there for all 10 years of Dabo Swinney building up that program to what it ended up becoming. The highest paid assistant coach in college football, best defensive coordinator in all of college football. And then after the 2021 season in which they went 9-3, Trevor Lawrence is gone. Travis Etienne is gone. Now it's DJ Oyungalale. Now it's a handful of wide receivers who are four stars, but not really the top talent that T. Higgins was. Some three-star guys in there. An offense that's sputtering to score points. After a 9-3 season, including a double overtime loss to NC State, a loss to Pitt, and a no-shame loss to Georgia. Like, that was the beginning of Georgia winning back-to-back national championships. Like, there was no shame in losing that game to Georgia. It just sucked that they only scored three points. After... All of that, Clemson, sees Tony Elliott leave to go to Virginia, sees their wide receivers coach leave to go to the University of South Florida as head coach, and then sees Brent Venables, defensive coordinator who had been there for 10 years, continuity on the defensive side of the ball, Brent Venables, leaves to go and take the Oklahoma job. And you see that when the coordinators leave, pressure falls onto the head coach who is also focused on trying to maintain recruiting in a transfer portal era that he has actively mocked as Dabo Swinney has. And in an era where now his high paid assistant coaches are now leaving to go to other places. And in the first year running it back with DJ Oyungalale as quarterback, running it back with a lot of the same players who had gone nine and three the previous season Clemson started out 10-1, and 1, won some games by closer margins than they were used to, couldn't score for shit, and then finished the season 1-2 and 2 with losses against South Carolina in the last week of the season, their arch-rival, at home, losing to South Carolina, winning the ACC championship game, and then losing in the Orange Bowl to Tennessee with Joe Milton as their quarterback instead of Hendon Hooker, because Hendon Hooker tore his ACL. And so Clemson, who had a Tier 2 or Tier 3 season of college football, it's not the dynastic team they were for six years, but they did get back to an Orange Bowl, which is at the very least a New Year's Six Bowl game. They were one of the top eight teams in the country. They won the ACC championship. It's a relatively successful season for Clemson as a second-tier college football team. And you're guessing that the reason I bring this up is because Clemson got smoked by Duke on Monday with an with a third offensive coordinator in three years, going from Tony Elliott to, uh, I forgot the name of the coordinator last year, but they fired the coordinator last year and hired Garrett Riley, the previously the offensive coordinator at TCU and brother of Lincoln Riley, hired Garrett Riley, Lost the first game of the season with a new quarterback in Cade Klubnick because they gave DJ Oyungalale two seasons, never turned into the five-star quarterback they were anticipating he would be, the guy who was in the Dr. Pepper commercials at the beginning of the 2021 season. DJ Oyungalale never turned into the player they hoped he would be. DJ Oyungalale couldn't really knock it at a top program, transferred to Oregon State. And that just shows how difficult it is to continue to hit on the quarterbacks. They caught two diamonds in the rough. One with being able to land Deshaun Watson, now sexual predator who plays for the Cleveland Browns, being able to land him in 2014, and then winning the championship in 2016 with a, one of the great quarterbacks in the history of college football and a bunch of four-star players. And then being able to pivot to then recruiting Two of the best recruiting classes in all of college football, developing talent in a way that led to a dominating championship in 2018 with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback, Christian Wilkins, Cleland Furrell, Isaiah Simmons, T. Higgins, Travis Etienne, all the stars they had on that team, all the f- future first-round picks they had on that team. And now Clemson has lost the lightning in the bottle magic. And Clemson's not going to get back to the place that they were. That's the thing I said in 2021. They might make it back to the college football playoff. They might make it back to the championship game. But Clemson is now what is I regard as a second-tier program. And right now, there might only be two top-tier programs in college football between Georgia and Alabama. But maybe even Alabama's on a bit of shaky ground at this point. It's a lot of Tier 2 teams who aren't getting the 35-star prospects that happened to exist in every recruiting class at any given time in college football. Clemson got them for two recruiting classes, had eight first round picks within two years. And those players ended up winning them a national championship in 2018 and getting back to the national championship game in 2019. So like Clemson has had those dudes for years and now they don't have those dudes anymore. Now they have a lot of four stars, a very similar type of roster to the team that won the championship back in 2016 just without the star quarterback and just without the star offensive coordinator. They don't have a whole lot going for them in the in between and we've seen the results in the time since. Clemson since winning the or since making it to the college football playoff in 2020, the last uh, game of Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne's Clemson career, we've seen that in the time since they have lost six football games. They didn't lose six football games in four seasons between 2016 and 2019. They didn't lose six games in an entire four-year stretch. They've lost six in what is essentially two seasons. And that means that Clemson is now a very good team, but no longer the championship team of three years ago. And I think that now, 18 mu- or sorry, 22 months later, after the first time we brought this up back in 2021, uh, when, Re- when Brent Venables had left to take the Oklahoma job, and Tony Elliott had left to take the uh, the, the Virginia job. I think it feels pretty clear now that the lightning in a bottle has been released, and there is nothing left of Clemson's championship pedigree to show for going forward. And so I just want to bring that back up because I feel like we've been the speaking on Clemson's downfall a little bit for years now, and it feels like Uh, A lot of those results have bared their fruit two years later and uh, losing to Duke to open the season on national television probably is the the final verification that we needed to prove that Clemson is no longer the Clemson that caught lightning in a bottle and won two championships in a magical six-year run, a six-year run where they made the college football playoff every single year, and now Clemson is a second-tier program Maybe even a third-tier program, depending on where you look at Garrett Riley and the quarterback situation with Kate Klubnick, who is a very good quarterback. He he is previously one of the three best quarterbacks of uh, the 2022 recruiting class. He's a very, very good quarterback. He is not the star quarterbacks that Clemson found as diamonds in the rough. I mean, it's hard to say Trevor Lawrence was a diamond in the rough, but being able to hit on the quarterback position with two of the greatest quarterback prospects in the history of of college football to hit those back-to-back and have that be the four-year run or I'm sorry the six-year run with one year of Kelly Bryant in between they missed on Kelly Bryant at one time but those six years between Watson to Lawrence that was the golden window the lightning in a bottle window that Clemson opened for themselves in part by being able to find diamond in the rough quarterbacks that never would have gone to Clemson in previous iterations of these teams. And so, now that Clemson has the results to show for it, they don't have the same top recruiting classes, they haven't developed talent and landed the five-star prospects in the same way they did in the 2015 and 2016 recruiting classes, and as a result, you have seen the fruits of Clemson's light uh, I don't the fruits of their effort and the fruits of their their program with Dabo Swinney that developed uh, six years of making the college football playoff every year making it to four championship games and winning two championships you have seen that that lightning in a bottle has escaped from the bottle and there is not much left of the former top tier Clemson program uh, that is one of the most lightning-in-a-bottle runs, the perfect confluence of events and perfect confluence of circumstances that led to incredible, incredible success. I'm not knocking that at all. It was remarkable what they were able to pull off at a school like Clemson, winning those two national championships, making it to four national championships in six years, and making the college football playoff every year for six years. It's absolutely remarkable what they accomplished at a school like Clemson. And now... They have returned to the second and third tier territory of a program that's probably going to sting for a while, but also this is now year three of being in this territory. They're on their second quarterback post-Trevor Lawrence, and it's not looking like it's getting better. So I think this is the space that Clemson will occupy, and two years after we started prognosticating that the lightning in a bottle run for Clemson was over, the results have bared out that we were, in fact, absolutely correct. Correct about Clemson losing their assistant coaches to take other head coaching jobs they're missing on the quarterback with DJ Uyungalale for two seasons and not being able to develop him and not being able to put the coaching staff in place that would be able to support them or put the talent in place that would support Uyungalale. wasn't there And it didn't stick for Clemson this time, and it doesn't look like it's going to stick for Clemson. Now three years removed from the last time they made it to the college football playoff.
1: It could be the end of an era in Tampa Bay as Mike Evans may be in his final season with the Buccaneers. Mike Evans, ever since he came out of Texas A&M propping up Johnny Manziel's career, has been a stud, a future Hall of Famer, and a Super Bowl champion thanks to Tom Brady ending up in Tampa just a couple years ago. Now, as we look towards the Baker Mayfield era, it may be all crashing down on him as Todd Bowles may be in his final season too. September 9th is the imaginary deadline that Evans set for the Bucs to resolve a contract extension. Uh, What do you think of kind of Tampa Bay moving forward, especially if Mike Evans is no longer part of this
0: team? If Mike Evans hits the open market, that would be interesting because I don't even know what a 30-something-year-old Mike Evans... It would be like Keenan Allen hitting the market at this point. It's like, what would happen to that reliable receiver who you knew you always wanted to keep on your team? It would be so strange, but... Mike Evans at this point is about to be in limbo. And I think that's a perfect analogy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going forward at this point is that like Mike Evans could get extended because Tampa Bay's decided we want to keep this core together and bring them along or this season could go poorly. And they look up and say, we are ready to tear this thing to the ground. We're ready to rebuild it or maybe retool the plane in the sky, depending on how they want to go about it. And You could see Devin White get traded. You could see Mike Evans leaving free agency or potentially get traded at the trade deadline if things go really sour really quickly. I think Tampa Bay is kind of in that limbo where they're saying, we want to see how this season goes before we decide if we're going to commit to anybody long term. I mean, they've already committed to Chris Godwin long term, which different time in the franchise. Godwin was obviously on the franchise tag and Tom Brady was pounding his fists on the table and saying, you need to bring back Chris Godwin. And so they brought back Chris Godwin. You have obviously and who's gone, uh, Vita Veya, who's extended long-term. And then they have these two situations hanging over them with Devin White and Mike Evans, who... Between the two of them, we could estimate what they'll they'll make about thirty seven million per year between the two of them. Maybe Devin White gets twenty something million, Mike Evans gets seventeen to twenty million, somewhere around that territory. Um, they're about to decide on whether they want to make a forty million dollar commitment for the next two to three to four years, and. I think that's all going to be predicated on what the direction of the franchise is going. And I think they're in a wait and see approach, which is why they didn't extend Devin White and why they haven't extended Mike Evans yet. Uh, They are in a very wait and see approach to see just how bad the season goes or maybe if they make it to the playoffs
1: so when we talked about baker mayfield a couple weeks ago both of us were very pessimistic on him now that was before we saw baker mayfield take a single snap in a tampa bay buccaneers uniform he did play preseason and he did look pretty good he did he had his moments in those games where i actually was pretty impressed and we know baker mayfield has had such an up and down career his time in the nfl it started with that amazing rookie season then the freddie kitchens year happened Year three was great the first year under Stefanski, but then again, year four happened, and, and now here we are in Tampa. You, what do you think that Baker Mayfield and Mike Evans' connection will be? Do you think that he'll be the primary threat, or do you think that Baker's play style would favor Chris Godwin a little bit better?
0: Fantasy football experts are torn between this right now because they're kind of projecting Evans and Godwin to have very similar stats this year. So I think they don't really know exactly which direction that's going to go for the, the Buccaneers. And obviously health is a big factor with both of those receivers being Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin. Uh, Evans now being in his 30s with some prior injury concerns. Godwin's obviously had the torn ACL uh, two years ago. So I think that's probably one of the primary concerns there is health will dictate the the need for the Bucks. That could also include health for Baker Mayfield. But This is Mike Evans, man. Mike Evans has had four or 5,000 yard seasons in his career. You mentioned Hall of Fame, and I used to be on the Mike Evans Hall of Fame. Like, of course, he'll make it. I think his odds are not as good as I originally thought they were to make the Hall of Fame, but still one of the best receivers of his era, playing his entire career as the number one receiver in Tampa Bay. Uh, Him and Keenan Allen are very similar in that respect. I know I compared them earlier, but just always consistently... Someone who's going to get a thousand yards and someone who, you know, is capable of of breaking off for a 50 yard touchdown at any given point. Uh, obviously, Evans is a bit older now in Tampa Bay, even though they were in the playoffs last year. It's been a little bit since Tampa Bay's been playing competitive football. And so I think we've kind of forgotten about Mike Evans at a certain extent. Certainly, I forgot that he was one year away from reaching free agency and and was needing a new contract but i i think that the baker mayfield mike evans connection is going to be the best on the team (laughs) and that's the best (laughs) i can say that doesn't necessarily mean it'll be good or bad i think it'll be the best connection on the team because of how good mike evans is
1: i mean before brady got there evans was getting it done with instability at the quarterback position of course that was also a younger mike evans but With Jameis there and Ryan Fitzpatrick, Evans was still posting monster stat lines. And, you know, the thing that people always talk about with Mike Evans is the consistency, the consistently being over a thousand yards as a wide receiver, which is as impressive, you know, like when we think about like Mike Tomlins never having a losing season stat. I think the ring separates him, I think the ring puts him fully in the Hall of Fame. So, Again, if you're Mike Evans, you're you're thanking your lucky stars. That Tom Brady just said, you know what? San Francisco doesn't want me, so I guess I'm just going to go to Tampa. And that's changed the course of potentially Mike Evans wearing a gold jacket or not. If it is his last year, I mean, I fully expect Evans to have a ball or stat line. And if you're Baker or Kyle Trask or whoever ends up playing significant snaps at quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, you're gonna look at just the marvel of a man that is Mike Evans. I mean, let's face it, this guy is 6'5", 6'6". He's a huge guy. You throw that guy's direction. He's gonna come down with more balls than he's not. So just use the talent at your disposal. We'll see if the offense is a little bit better this year than it was last year. Obviously, we know last year it was stagnant as hell. And that could also be because of the injuries on the offensive line. If they're a little bit healthier this year than they were last year, maybe that could help things out. I mean, not that I'm going to at all, like put Baker Mayfield near Tom Brady's tier, but I guess if you would say things that Baker does have over Brady, he is a little bit more mobile for what it's worth. And that might be able to help him in that offense. And if he can, again, just find the Baker Mayfield of old, find that confidence whatever the chip on his shoulder That he needs to be able to succeed then again evans godwin it's one of the best wide receiving combinations you have in football like you're not going to find too many better wide receiving combos than those two together they're still a top 10 wide receiving duo if you're the buccaneers obviously you want to retain evans as much as you can he's he's the type of player you want to make a lifelong buccaneer but at the same time it's like if they do enter enter this full rebuild mode which it's going to hinge a lot on the quarterback play it's going to hinge a lot on the head coaching because again i'm not even sold on bowls like wh- what does it say about bowls that you know his first head coaching ten year with the jets we know it was awful then he gets his chance last year with tampa bay and again average propped up by the fact you had tom brady on that team like if they have another bad year i think bowls is done over there in tampa
0: yeah and that's part of the limbo situation right is they don't know about Devin White, they don't know about Mike Evans and they don't know about the head coach. And and that'll be the decision they make going forward is do we strike while the iron's hot and trade Mike Evans to the Cowboys or something or do we strike while the iron's hot and trade Devin White to the uh I don't know, say the Titans or something. Like that's the conversation that they're having at this point in their head and I also didn't realize I just looked up the stats for sure. Uh, Mike Evans has played 9 seasons in the NFL. He has had 9 1,000-yard seasons. Mike Evans has had a thousand yards every year of his career, whether he's been injured, whether he has a down year, a good year, a bad quarterback, a good quarterback, Jameis Winston, Blaine Gabbert, or Tom Brady, a thousand yards every single season of Mike Evans' career, which is really impressive. His career high was 1,524 during one of those Jameis Winston seasons. or I guess that was the Fitzpatrick Winston season was, was the year that he had all that, it was the year that, like, they were going back and forth between the quarterbacks. But Mike Evans has been incredible for all of these years of his career. And I would love to see him go play for a contender at the back end of his career because I know how much of an impact he can... Imagine if Mike Evans was your number two receiver. And you could argue like one of those years God was the one on the Bucks, But imagine if you're a team like... Cincinnati and you have Mike Evans as your number two imagine if you're a team like Buffalo that has Mike Evans as your number two
1: well yes but I mean part of the issue here too and why they're talking about extension is Mike Evans whatever his season ends up becoming he's not going to be cheap next season so whatever team gets him it it is going to be a team that has some cap space to throw around I know Cincinnati; they're struggling to even figure out what they want to do with T. Higgins moving forward. I, I don't know, like if the Chargers have any cap space to throw around. The Chiefs—they always seem to find cap space. We'll see, but yeah, Mike <laughs> Evans—you know—it's going to be hard to put him as a number two unless, for some reason, his contract numbers take a little bit of a hit this year, which I
0: well, think yeah. he's angling think
1: towards being a high on the high end of the wide receiver pay spectrum.
0: And we know that he's a big Dallas Cowboys guy. He's been connected every time his name comes up to the Cowboys. And Dallas doesn't necessarily have the financial flexibility, but they do have a gaping hole as a second wide receiver apart from CeeDee Lamb. No disrespect Stop disrespecting to Brandon, disrespecting
1: Cooks. Brandon Cooks. Stop disrespecting yeah. him. Come on, look at those stats. He's,
0: he's no Mike Evans. My Brandon Cooks is no Mike Evans. and He's uh, fast?
1: <laughs> he's faster Mike than Ev- Evans for what it's worth?
0: You know what Mike Evans is big Mike Evans is big and can run and he can beat you deep and in the short field Mike Evans is amazing as a receiver Uh, but yeah Dallas would be a team that makes a lot of sense Jerry Jones is the old guy who makes a, a trades on whims at any situation so that would be a possibility for them obviously. They just got rid of Amari Cooper because he was too expensive. The so Lord knows how much they would pay Mike Evans in addition to CeeDee Lamb's contract now coming up at this point. So maybe it's not as uh, probable as one might expect. Maybe Mike Evans will get a little bit less than maybe Mike Evans was anticipating. But I mean, Tampa's just in a really interesting position here. Is is he one of those pieces that jumpstarts a rebuild? Or do they franchise tag him? Do they even let him walk in free agency? That There's a lot of different... Scenarios here that I don't quite know how it will play out for the Buccaneers. You
1: know what? I would do play this game of finding like someone on a rookie contract and figuring out which team would want to go after him. Does Jacksonville have some cap space if Evans becomes available?
0: I guess so. And it's not that far from Tampa. So it's in the realm of possibility. One team that I think would be really interesting. And I don't know if Evans would want to go there and I don't know how it would work out, but. Green Bay Packers would be interesting. If you put him with Christian Watson as the one and two with Jordan Love, I think that would be really interesting too.
1: Yeah. I mean, if Jordan Love's any good, certainly that would be something that the Packers should consider, but we know the Packers aren't exactly known for spending free agent dollars. So we'll see if that's even know, something that to organization get that would do.
0: Jonathan Taylor game. They were trying so to trade they for say, Jonathan
1: Taylor. So they say,
0: I don't believe
1: it, honestly. Like, I'm not buying it, but you know, they were probably yeah the we'll medical staff, team, but we'll give basic- you a seventh round pick that that's probably the extent of yeah. negotiating the goodigans and them we're doing
0: maybe so uh if mike evans hits free agency how how about if he ended up going to his bitter rival the new orleans saints him <laughs> alongside chris olave in the wide receiver room i mean it's a good match i just don't know if he's uh exactly on the best of terms with those guys in new orleans after multiple times he's fought them over the years <laughs> i
1: i guess what would evan's free agent priority be obviously he already has one ring for his legacy from tom brady is it just make as much money as you possibly can because in those situations he could just end up on a weird team he could pull the deandre hopkins and end up in tennessee
0: yeah and in that scenario the teams that will have the most money next year are the cardinals the Colts. The Chicago Bears. Ooh, Cardinals are, are the actually kind
1: of interesting when you think about it. Let's say they do end up with Caleb Williams. Well, hey, I have a guy on a rookie contract. Why don't we just spend some money? Now, that's up to the Bidwells, but still.
0: That would also mean Hollywood Brown would leave because Hollywood Brown's a free agent after this season, too. So it would be like trading out that money for Mike Evans. You know, that might not be the worst idea in the world to to make the upgrade from Marquise Hollywood Brown to Mike Evans if you're going to move on from the whole Kyler Murray era. So that could be a possibility there. Uh, I think the... Well, I think Kansas City is actually one of the teams that will have one of the, the highest cap situations going into next year. So maybe even Kansas City, but I, I know they've been reluctant to spend big money on wide receivers in the past. So maybe that's not a maybe that's not a match made in heaven, but Kansas City is going to actually have a lot of money next season.
1: Um, Obviously, you know, a lot's going to depend on Mike Evans health, but thousand yards again. What do you think?
0: Let's say, yeah, I'm I'm not going to bet it against Mike Evans. Let's make it 10 years in a row, 10 consecutive seasons. So so wait, 1, I should 1, ask yards. you,
1: is he already over the 10,000 yard mark as a whole? You mentioned the nine straight uh, with 1,000.
0: Yeah, he's already over 10,000 yards.
1: Okay. You know, so just, again, stat padding, get, uh, keep compiling to that Hall of Fame legacy. A little bit like Frank Gore, the wide receiver position. So, but hey, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to look at Mike Evans' career stat line. And it's going to be, like, among the top leaders in yards all time. And we're going to be like, damn, Mike Evans was really good, wasn't he? Just throw on some old tape. Just see Mike Evans just dunking on. Yeah, just see Mike Evans dunking on, guys. Again, I I think in a year that we got a Johnny Manziel documentary, it's more impressive to think about, oh, yeah, Mike Evans was really good and on that Texas A&M team (laughs) that propped up Manziel.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that works against him, he's, he's only been all pro one time in his career. so like even though he's had nine 1000 yard seasons only I think only three of them he had more than 1200 which sucks but, but okay
1: well you know like with things like that you always have to consider like who's top of the position at any particular time like Devonte was there Antonio Brown I think Evans came in probably what back end Calvin Johnson still yeah Julio Jones existed Julio Jones in his prime which was a bad man you want to talk about a big guy that was also fast Julio Jones all pro. Yeah. Yeah. So- Hall
0: of Famer for sure. So, and Mike Evans, that's the interesting conversation. It's why I keep using Keenan Allen as the comparison. Cause for years, I always joked Mike Evans is wide receiver seven every year in his fantasy drafts, in his stat production, he's wide receiver seven in the NFL. He has always been wide receiver seven for like 10 straight years. And so do do you reward the longevity of consistently being very, very good with a nod into the hall of fame. Cause I I looked up his Wikipedia, the, the nine consecutive seasons of a thousand yards to start a career. That's an NFL record. No wide receiver in the history of the NFL has ever had that many thousand yards. And
1: I would question like how many wide receivers that have 10,000 yards in their career are not in the hall of fame. That would also be worth a discussion. You know, like, again, it's like when people bring up is Frank Gore a hall of famer or not. I I think it's hard to deny a guy who's literally top three in a rushing category in a positive direction like Frank Gore is. I think Evans with, again, just that 10,000-yard mark and a Super Bowl ring, I mean, come on. It's going to be hard for anyone to not keep that guy out, for him to be denied.
0: So there's a few here that are in the 10,000-yard category that aren't in the Hall of Fame. So for reference, Mike Evans is 45th all-time in... Uh, receiving yards as things stay right now. So if he retired tomorrow, which obviously he's got more time left in his career, but this would be some of the names that he would be compared with. Chad Ochocinco, Joe Galloway, Robbie Walt, Stanley Morgan, Keyshawn Johnson, and AJ Green. Those are the names right now. Now, if he gets up to 13,000 yards for his career, that's when he gets into kind of the like fringe Hall of Fame territory with guys like Andre Reed, who obviously made the Hall of Fame, but it took him a little bit to get in the Hall of Fame. Jason Witten, he'll be kind of in the same situation. We'll get into the Hall of Fame, but it's going to take a minute for him to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Charlie Joyner, Heinz Ward, who's obviously not in the Hall of Fame, but he's knocking on the door every single year to potentially get in the Hall of Fame. Antonio Gates, who will maybe get in the Hall of Fame in his first try, maybe won't. We'll see what happens there. That's kind of the territory that. Got, oh, also, Jackson is uh, in that same group at the, the 12,000 receiving yard marker. So, if Mike Evans plays four more seasons, averaging 750 yards a season, then he will be right on the edge of the Hall of Fame, I think.
1: Join in on the discussion, whether it be Mike Evans' Hall of Fame legacy, will he, won't he make the Hall, or whether it be what his situation is going to be in Tampa moving forward. Will he be a lifelong buck? Will he be donning the creamsicle jerseys for the rest of his career like to hear your thoughts in the comment section leave a like on the video subscribe to the channel follow us on all our social medias and we will see you next time thank you for listening to believe